0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we worship you and praise you, Lord, and thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace, for your mercy, God. Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit to not only be with us as the Holy Spirit has been with us this entire time, but to prepare our hearts, to invade our our minds that we might be ready to hear what you have to say. Lord, it is our desire just to hear from you. I could speak for myself and say that it is in no way my desire for any of my own words to come through, but only yours. I give you my mouth. I give you my will. You have my life. Do with it as you please. Speak through me as you please. I just ask that you not allow me to get in the way. And I pray that these words that are heard today here, that are heard online, and even online in the future, will fall on ears that can hear, and eyes that can see. What you have planned. Because we are entering and an in a unique age. A unique time of the church. Something that in all my years we always talked about coming someday. And never really understood fully what it meant. This mystery of your bride this joy of your heart speak to us this morning Father we worship you in Jesus name Amen we truly do live in unique times is that my beard? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. okay we'll try and keep that down (laughs) <laughs> okay is that better yeah. All right. we truly do live in unique times in, in times that have been very confusing to people that have studied the Bible their whole lives and have intellectually understood the Bible because if you just intellectually understand the Bible you're going to have a hard time because you start to place it into a mold that that is intellectually driven. Problem is that God's word came from God, (laughs) who is outside of the realm we live in. He's outside of time. He's outside of our dimensions. He's outside of what we understand. And when I say outside, I don't mean outside to where he doesn't understand us. Just the opposite. We have difficulty understanding him sometimes because we take what he says and we fit it into our mold. Which is, by the way, opposite of what the scripture says to do. The scripture says to have an open heart. Acts seventeen eleven. Have an open heart, receive with an open heart. And then go to the Lord, go to his word, go to the Bible. Go to him in prayer. Father, speak. Show me the truth of what you're saying. Sadly, so many of the bride do not do that. And, and I'm talking about the, this global bride because when when I speak of bride, let me quantify that. And for those of you that are here, you already know, but, but for those online, let me quantify what that means. To be a member of the bride is to simply have invited Jesus Christ into your heart as Savior. To realize that He is the Messiah, the Son of God, who came to earth, lived a perfect life, gave His life on the cross. For you and for me. Rose from the grave three days later, sits at the right hand of the Father. When we believe that and we receive Him into our heart as Messiah... We are part of the bride. It's just that simple. That is called justification. It can be a little confusing in the word of God, because when the word of God refers to salvation, it's referring to a process. A process of intimacy with Christ. A process of repairing literally what was destroyed in the Garden of Eden. When Adam sinned, he destroyed that intimacy. And so salvation, as we see it in the Word of God, is this system of repair. In many ways, this is a repair manual. Now, I don't know about all of you, but I know typically guys don't like to... Read instruction manuals. I'll be the first to admit. I don't know what it is either. It's like now that we're coming around Christmas time, it's going to hit every single household. I don't need that. I don't need the instructions. I can figure this out. Right? Now, by the way, it's not just guys either. But when it comes to really figuring it out with the Lord, do we read this instruction manual? Do we read it for just what it says, or do we actually do what it says? Because in here, it says you cannot even understand this without the power of the Holy Spirit. That is why the Holy Spirit was sent to be a comforter. Is is that just because when we go through tough things, he kind of stands behind us, rubs our back? Let me just comfort you a second. No, no. The Comforter is an interpreter. He is one who when we consume the Father's Word, He helps us to understand what it means. You cannot get that intellectually. Now I'm not saying that you don't learn things intellectually. You do. But if that's the only place they remain, you miss out on the very Spirit of what the Holy Spirit is trying to do. We are in crazy times as I prayed, We're entering into and have been in times that can be very confusing. Even for the bride. Certainly for the world. For those who do not know Christ. For those who do not believe in God. Do not even care about God or anything else. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, there are none here. But for those watching online, perhaps even in the future, I tell you, if you want to understand, you have to first know Jesus Christ. You have to first know the interpreter between us and the Father. The one who, whose spirit can speak to us. You have to know Him in order to To fight this fear that is coming. Because there is fear here now. But believe me, this is nothing compared to what's coming. And I don't say that to make you afraid because the bride is not to be afraid. Do you understand that what is coming is for the bride's benefit? Specifically for those who are passionate for Jesus Christ. Because that repair that Jesus died for on the cross that not only saves us from sin and death, saves us from hell, it also opens this avenue, this door of relationship with Him that we can build this intimate relationship that you don't have to go through me, I don't have to go through you, we don't have to go through some association No, each of us can go and build that relationship with him individually. And by the way, it's not that we can, it's that we must. You can't build a relationship through another human. You can't build it through your pastor. You can't build it through your youth leader. You can't build it through your friend that just knows Jesus a little more than you do. You can receive from them, and you're supposed to. But if you don't take that personally to the Lord yourself and build yourself, then you are not building an intimate relationship with him, which is the entire reason that he came and died on the cross. Not just to save you from pain, not just to save you from fire. Although, thank God, that is an effect. There will be people that that are justified of sin, that get saved, don't do anything with it, don't build that personal relationship, but praise God, they are saved from that fire. They are part of the bride, but they're not part of what we call the readied bride. They're not part of the bride that has built intimacy with him. You know, we've been in Ephesians for a while, for the last couple weeks. I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to go through part of this. And the Lord's laid something else on my heart that perhaps he, ha- he will take us to. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. Now, by the way, Paul here is talking to Christians. He is talking to saved individuals. He's talking to the church at Ephesus, right? These are Gentile people. These are not Jewish people, right? Specifically, this is the Gentile church. And he says, you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And then he quantifies it in verse 3. He says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. See what he was pointing out here is what we are like without Christ. What we were like before we were saved. And it doesn't matter how you act. Because the debased nature is what's hidden in the heart. It's who we are in the heart. Paul even said and included himself in this statement. Now this is, this is Paul who was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Okay, a man who Held to the law. He didn't do the things that we would think would be wrong. But yet, he still included himself in this statement. What an extraordinary thing to realize. That it doesn't matter how good you are as a person. What deeds you do as a person. If you do not have Jesus Christ in your heart as Savior, you have nothing you are debased by nature. You follow, literally, it, it, for, the, for those who think that, that, you know, well, I, I don't follow God, but, but I certainly don't follow Satan. I just call, kind of follow my own path. Well, let me show you right here in what we just read. The Bible says that's not even possible. Because without Jesus Christ, you, by nature, are automatically following the prince and the power of the air. That's what we just read. He said, you are basically debased in your nature. He says, our, of our passion, in whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. It's the Me Movement. Not the Me Too Movement. It's the Me Movement. That started way before the Me Too Movement. It's been all about me. That started back when Adam sinned. It became all about us. Individually. How we walk. How we get through life. How we cope. How we deal with things. How we understand things. And then, I've said it before, some of the greatest words in the Word of God. Verse 4, but God. But God. See, Paul's saying here, in all the debased nature that we were in, no hope, terrible circumstances, but God. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, so even when we were in this debased nature, he raised, or he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He is speak. Remember, Paul here is speaking to those who have accepted Jesus Christ as Messiah. He said, And by that grace, by that mercy that the Father had, he sent his son. We see that in probably the most popular verse in, in the world. Everybody knows, everybody's heard. John three sixteen. But because of his rich mercy, his great love. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, we were made alive together with Christ. So said, by grace you have been saved. Now understand what he's talking about here. In that word of being saved, you have been justified of your sin. When you accept Jesus Christ into your heart, you are justified Of the debased nature that you are. You understand? You are justified of that because Jesus takes his blood and he just pours it all over you. And then the Father looks at you through that filter of Jesus' blood. And no longer sees that debased person. No longer sees that sin that is there. because it's being seen through the blood of Jesus Christ. He made us alive together in Christ by grace you have been saved. And which, by the way, the, the grace is fully His doing, none of our own. Verse 6, "...and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness, Toward us in Jesus Christ. Let me explain something here that can be very confusing. It said, He raised us up to be with Him. Let's read it again. It said, raised us up with Him. With who? With Jesus. And seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He did this for a reason. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now I'm not going to try and quantify what the coming ages are. I used to think that it was just the afterlife. And I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole right now, but it's not just the afterlife. It's simply the coming ages. It is simply the moving forward of your relationship and your life as, as with Jesus Christ. That's why you were seated up there with him. Now, there's another confusing part to that. Pretty sure I'm here. I don't know, you can all tell me. Do I look like I'm here? I think I'm here. Well, maybe not all here. Yeah, thank you for that. Right, but I'm here. I am physically here. I am not physically seated with Christ at the right hand of the throne. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. So what does that mean? What does that mean? If we don't quantify this from the mind of Christ and from the mind of His realm, we will never understand it. You see, you're made up of body, soul, and spirit. Each of us are. Your body that will die someday, I mean, even if we're taken in the rapture, that body will die someday. That body will be gone because we'll be given a glorified body, right? But we have that body, the physicalness of who we are. We have our soul, which really is our mind. The Bible calls it our will. It is our choice maker. I'll point to, to my head because that's where my brain is. But but it's really our will, our choices. That's our soul. Our spirit is something different. Our spirit is the hardest thing to understand as you begin this walk. It's almost impossible to understand. I know for me, I was saved for, for 45 years. No, 40 years before I understood that. I didn't know, I I thought my spirit was just something that when my body dies, my spirit gets to go. Because the spirit never dies. The spirit is taken then to heaven and gets this new body. That's what I thought. I didn't really think there was much use for my spirit here. Because I, I don't control my spirit. At least I didn't think. But the reality is that it says here in Ephesians that as soon as we accepted Jesus Christ, we were taken with him to be with him up to the right hand of the Father. So what is taken in Jesus' name? Certainly not my body, right? Clearly, that's still here. It's not my will either. Because I can still make choices. Sadly, I can choose to do what I want to here. I can choose to sin. I can choose to go against God. And it's sad because we've seen this happen over and over and over again. Because, see, that's my will. That's my mind. That's my choice. And the one thing that God paid the dearest price for, He will never take away, is the sovereignty of, Of our choice. He did this for love. Because he loves you. Because he loves me. He will never take away your choice. And and that didn't end when you accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. When you accepted him. You did not become a robot. You did not become one who could not choose to do these other things. Of course not. In fact Paul said. We still live in fallen flesh. If it weren't for the, the filter placed over us of Jesus' blood, we would not even be able to have community with the Father. But because of Jesus, we could and can. But understand that your spirit does go with Jesus. Why? Because you have accepted Him into your heart. You have received Him as Messiah. You made that choice, that single choice, that can't be given back, that can never be lost. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. So your spirit goes to be with Him. Again, let's read verse 6. Thinking in our minds, our spirit was raised up with Him and seated with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? So that in the coming ages, so that in the rest of your life, and the coming ages of what's planned for this earth, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. For by grace have you been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. Your salvation, your justification of sin is not because of you. It's not because of some works that you do. It's not your own doing. It is the gift of God, and then Paul quantifies it. Not a a result of works. Not a result of anything that you have done so that no one can boast. Wait a second. Didn't Paul say that... If I boast, I would boast in this and I would boast in that. And and I could boast in this because I did this and I did that. Wasn't he boasting? Yeah. Yeah, he was. It's kind of like me saying, well, if I were to tell you about and then tell you about it, that's me telling you about it. (laughs) Right? That was Paul doing. Okay, so is Paul sinning in that? No, see, you have to understand what is going on with him in building that relationship. He was not boasting of what was given him for free. Our justification of sin is given to us for free. We do nothing for it. Jesus did everything for it. But our relationship with him is a different story. It's not that we work for that. It's not that okay, I know Jesus is savior. Now I'm going to go ahead and join the worship team and and I'm going to set up chairs and I'm going to go go knock on doors on Saturdays and lead people to the Lord uh, just so I can check off these boxes, doing all that I need to do so I can have this relationship. That's not it at all. It never stops going through Jesus Christ. Jesus did everything on the cross, but guess what? Now that we have that and we move forward in relationship with Him, He wants to do every single part of it from here on out. When you go and you talk to somebody, and I, I, I've done this so many times, I remember as a as a kid, and you, you know, I, I grew up. The schools I grew up in were, were legalistic. I remember as a senior going door to door. I got this bright idea of going door to door and, and, and you know I mean I won't knock myself for doing it because at least I did it but how I did it was not the best way to do it just knocking on the door saying hey did you, do you know Jesus Christ Savior? No, you know you're going to hell oh. probably not the best opener you know unless you just want a door slammed in your face and that's what we got Of course, we thought we were doing God's will because we have the courage to go and condemn them. (laughs) They're already condemned. You don't need to condemn them. They're already condemned. They need to see hope. They need to see the reason why we're any different than they are. That reason is Jesus Christ. That reason is Him, it's not us. So as we build relationship with Him, when we do things even like that, if we're not including Him, if we're not being led by the Holy Spirit, there's no power in it. And, And by the way, we did lead some people to the Lord that way. I'm not saying that it didn't have results. You've got a whole faction, a whole section of the bride that believes that way. They see people saved. There there is the fruit of salvation, of justification in them. But there's no fruit. There's no joy. There's no peace. There's no love. I could speak for that personally because I was there. For me, it was just a command. It was just a battlefield plan. I figured the joy and the peace and the love and all that will come later. When I could be with him. Because he's the love, joy, peace. And, and I didn't realize, wait a second, it could be with me now. In fact, it's supposed to be with me now. So even when we try to strive in our own effort, that goes against what God wants. Because what he's really trying to do is he's trying to work hand in hand with us. So we're following his lead, not our own. Verse 10, and we'll just end this section with verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Wait a second, you just said I I wasn't supposed to, it's not a result of works, but now you're saying we were created for works. Doesn't that go back to what I just said? Right? We're created for works. We're created to do the very things God wants us to do, but not without Him. It can't be without Him. Otherwise, those works are in vain. They're, they're, they're simply hollow. So he's saying, you've been created by works, and and I love how he praises it here in the ESB, that we are His workmanship. It wasn't just something that he he made and left alone. Workmanship is something that you put time into, that you put love into. Any Anybody here, I'm curious, anybody here an artist of some sort? Uh, I know painters. I know my daughter's a painter. I know, uh, you know, anybody? Seriously, there's like three. There's a few. Come on. You know, you're, you're an artist with food, right, Shannon? I wouldn't know cuz you never make me anything. God. Just saying. No, but but uh, you know I I'm a carpenter. I love to work with wood. I love to make things. Uh, uh, when when an artist or a craftsman works on their craft, it's not just boiler point a b c d e g and okay, put it out and that's done. That's not it. It's they look at it. They look at what it can be when it's still nothing. They look and they have this vision of what they want to see, and yet that isn't even there yet. Then they start to work on it. You know, it, it, it amazes me. I wish I had this talent. But these people who do these life-size, life-size sculptures, you know, whether it be stone or the one that amazes me are these, these people that do it with uh, chainsaws. <laughs> I mean, I, I watched this guy. He, he gets this big old log, and the, the thing had to be five feet tall and maybe seven feet long, huge. I don't even know how he got it there, but <laughs> it, it had been sitting there for a few years, and, and he, it dried out enough for him to do his thing, and he just goes to work on it. He had a few, and all, all, he, all he used primarily, except for some of the small detail, were Chainsaws. He gets in there, and all of a sudden you see this bear coming out of this thing. Okay, how in the world could he do that if he didn't already picture what it's supposed to be? Of course he did. He looked at that, he he walks by that log out in his, his yard, and he's like, that's a bear. That's a bear in that log. It's just waiting to come out. And so he he starts to work on it, and and it's wild if you watch the video, which I wouldn't even know to tell you how to find it, but um, if you watch this, he starts carving pieces away, and it takes you a while, probably halfway through the video, to understand really what he's doing. And the only reason I knew it was a bear is the title said so. But he just cuts away junk. Just junk. Until it gets down to a basic form that he can start whittling. Taking out his knives and just cutting grooves, cutting in detail. That's what God does with us if we let him. That's what he does. See, when that log was cut and probably brought by a forklift and just dumped there, think of that as justification. Think of that as you accepting Jesus Christ into your heart. You are now placed in the yard of God. Where you are now saved. But you're still a big log. You're not what he's planned for you to be. Not yet. It's inside still. It's in there somewhere. So if we take our Christianity which is what the bride has done, and we control it ourselves, then we just remain that big log on the front yard. That's all we are. Because, see, we can't see what God wants for us. We might try and go and whittle that thing away, and all of a sudden we're getting something that doesn't look like a bear at all. I can only imagine what it would look like if I tried to do that. Was that a headless bear? (laughs) Okay. <laughs> right? That's what we try and do, though. And all God is telling us is, no, I want you to walk down a process where I'm in control the entire time. See, I'll take a little piece off here. I'll cut a huge chunk out here. Because, see, that's a burden you're carrying that doesn't even define you. That doesn't even isn't even supposed to be attached to you. Let's get rid of those right away. Let's take all those and put them off the table right away. And then if you let him, then he takes out his detail tools and he starts to carve in the detail like this artist did that took this lump that kind of looked like a bear carved in the detail to make it come alive. I mean, the the detail was extraordinary. This bear's mouth was open. You could see the tongue. You could see the the teeth inside. You could see everything. Even how when a bear growls, his his lips go up. Right? All the detail in in the hair. The, The detail in the hair. Some going this way. Some going this way. It was extraordinary.
1: You know, that's what
0: God wants to do with you. He sees the detail in your life. Not what's there. He sees what He wants you to have. He sees the detail that is intended for you. What His plans. Remember what He said here. <sighs> Somewhere. That we are his workmanship. Those were the words I was looking for. He created us with all that detail in mind. All those plans in mind. But see, it requires a yes. And Let me get into this for a second. Because I've said it so many times. When you give your yes... Wake up every morning and I told you: you you want to get to know God? Start giving him your yes every day. What does that mean? Giving a yes has to be accompanied with something. Not you doing something, because he'll show you that. But when you give your yes, you have to give your faith in that yes. That when you say yes to God, that he will actually do something with that yes. There's faith required for giving the yes. What happens then? It activates your spirit. That yes that you say in your will, in who you are, in your heart, and your will, your mind, you say yes physically to God. You are by faith then activating your spirit to act in that faith. That's why we're three. That's why we're body, soul, and spirit. Body, mind, and spirit. Because before my human person can walk in His will, Just by saying yes doesn't mean that from that day forward I am who I'm supposed to be. No, it's every time giving a yes through faith, activating my spirit to work in tandem with his so he can begin carving those details. That's what he does. Go ahead and answer it. Um. Those details are what he is doing in our lives, and I do want to get to. Oh, it's those details that I do want to get to. Or there is something that the Lord wants me to say that is coming. That I want to get to on this. Did you need me for something? Okay. Okay. I want to take you to Isaiah. Because I want you to understand something. And the layout of what we just talked about. And pay attention to me guys. Listen. This is important. The layout of what we just talked about. The layout of what we just talked about in the bride. In the ready bride. Being ready. Before him. Is about to play itself out. I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 4. Isaiah chapter 4. Talks about a very dark time. Now it talks about a dark time of. He emailed me. Aren't you? Okay. I was just wondering if you were the state health inspector. <laughs> He's not. No. Thank you. Okay. Sorry, sorry I didn't remember that. <laughs> the people online are like, what's going on there? I don't even understand. In Isaiah chapter 4, there is a very dark picture that is really chapter 3 and chapter 4. Honestly, going back to chapter 1. Isaiah is painting a very dark picture of what's going on. Okay? This is painting a dark picture of Israel and Jerusalem specifically. But in what I am about to tell you, and I'm, I'm not going to go explain all the back stuff of this. If You can go listen before if you want to. To understand this but we are in a foreshadowing of what God is going to do with Israel right and I've explained that many times we are in a foreshadowing this is not the tribulation guys may feel like it (laughs) but it is not the tribulation it is not that seven year period that we studied and understood and at the end, Jesus comes and kills the Antichrist, and all, that is not what we're in. We are in a foreshadowing of that to ready the bride. Revelation chapter 3, verse 9. So, as we're reading this, what is going to happen to Jerusalem and to Israel, as we're reading this, I want you to understand that what we're reading is also a foreshadowing. And I'll explain that in a second. But I want to go back, begin at chapter 3, verse 16. And I'm just going to read here. The, the Lord is talking about Israel and Jerusalem specifically and how how they have fallen away from the Lord and He is coming to take care of that. The Lord said, verse 16, The Lord said, because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks, glancing wantingly with their eyes, mincing along as they go, tinkling with their feet. Therefore, the Lord will strike with a scab. The heads of the daughters of Zion and the Lord will lay bare their secret parts. In that day, I want you to highlight those words because you're going to see them a few times. In that day, the Lord will take away the finery of the anklets, the headbands and the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets, the scarves, the headdresses, the armlets, the sashes, the perfume boxes, the amulets, the signet rings, the nose rings, the festal robes, the mantles, the cloaks, the handbags, the mirrors, the linen garments, the turbans, the veils. Instead of perfume, there will be rottenness. And and by the way, let me explain something leading up to verse 24 there. He is taking away. It, it, it is not about... Because you, you would have people nowadays, well, I'm not going to do these things because see, God clearly says they're wrong here. I'm not going to... You know, wear jewelry. I'm not going to wear makeup. I'm not going to, you know, whatever. Okay, I'm not going to take time on that, but that's just stupid. It's ridiculous. That's not what this is talking about. What this is setting up is that you have come to a place as a community where you do not need God in your mind. You do not think you need God. You live your lives, you have control of your lives, everything you are doing is controlled by you and seems good. You seem to be moving forward. You seem to have no problems. Instead of the perfume, there will be rottenness. Instead of a belt, there will be a rope. Instead of well-set hair, there will be baldness. Instead of a rich robe, a skirt of sackcloth, and branding instead of beauty. Your men shall fall by the sword and your mighty men in battle. And her gates shall lament and mourn empty. She shall not sit on the ground. And seven women, chapter 4, verse 1, and seven women shall take hold of one man in that day, saying, we will eat of our own bread and wear our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. See, what Isaiah is prophesying here is that, that God will take away all the things that you think are the fine, fine things of life that make your life tolerable, that you can move forward in without God. All these things that we place on us to make us smell good, and I'm not just talking about perfume or cologne. I'm talking about the facade that we walk as the bride. Remember, he's talking to the bride. Because here, he's talking to Jerusalem. He's talking to Israel. He's talking to those who are his children. His chosen children. So I submit that in in the what we're going through, He is talking to the bride. He's not talking to the world. He's not talking to those who are not saved. Why? Because they have not made that leap to even be able to hear him in the first place. And it's not that he withholds his judgment from them. His judgment will fall on all. But it will fall on them differently. So he's saying he will do this to his bride. Remember, we're, we're reading this through a foreshadowing. So verse 2, I want you to highlight these words. In that day, in the day I just described, in the day where everything turns to junk, everything becomes A smell like the sewer in that day when everything is difficult. What's he say here? The branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. Wow, what a thought. What a thought. That in that day when everything looks like it is falling apart, everything is looking like This insane, different way than we see things, right? I'm not even going to try and describe what that looks like. You can read what you read that what we just read there. Everything being taken away, all the things that we stand up in our control for being taken away, being knocked out from under us, and yet the branch of the Lord. The remnant of the bride. Those in relationship with Jesus Christ shall be beautiful and glorious. And the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. Let me read that again in this foreshadowing. And the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the remnant of the bride. Verse three, and he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. When the Lord, and this, this verse is a heavy verse. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleanse the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning. Do you think that the bride escapes all that just because that's set aside for Israel? See, God's desire for Israel was intimacy and relationship from the beginning. God's desire for the bride is intimacy with each of us individually from the beginning. He did not put that here so he could judge and abuse his chosen people because of what they did. He put that here because... The circumstances of the world, and let's think about it in terms of what's coming in the next three years. The circumstances of the world will become so dark that the remnant bride will be gloriously bright. Will literally become what we've said, the hope of the world. Is the bride the hope of the world now? I don't know, I mean, maybe in some pockets. But no, the, the world looks at the bride and with disgust, with, with derision, it, they, they are nothing to the world. And yet, we're supposed to be the light of Christ. So in Christ's reading of the bride... He changes circumstances that makes that light, when you say yes, brighter. That brings you to a place of being noticed because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Noticed by those who need him. Oh, so many prophets for I want to say at least 20 years, have been talking about this end-time revival, this revival coming, this billion-soul harvest, right? And we've talked about that before. Do you think that would come the way the church is right now? The way the world is right now? Hardly. We can't even seem to get the, the, the bride to stand up for what's right. We can't even seem to get the bride to be willing to lay themselves on the line for simple things of what's right. For 50 years, we have seen over 60 million babies slaughtered in the womb. We can't even seem to get the bride to stand up for what's right. But guess what? God's going to. Because there is a remnant out there. There is a remnant in this world that have a relationship with him that he will no longer make wait. No longer. That's why in the next three years, you will see this happen. The Lord says... Lord says America will go into a civil war. This civil war will not last long. It will be put down fairly quickly. But it will open a door. And that will lead to world war. In the next three years, as Donald Trump is in his second term, he will be a wartime president for three of those four years. Why? Because God hates us? (laughs) No, just the opposite. Because in the darkest, his bride will shine the brightest. That's where we are. That's where we're going. We don't have to plan what he is to do with us. Or plan what we're to do with ourselves, I should say. We're to simply stay and grow in intimacy with him. Because he's already got it planned. He's already got it figured out. He knew this from the beginning of time. In fact, it was his plan... He knew it. He knew in America it would come down to the division that is here right now. He knew that. By the way, there is a lot less division than you think. Because I do believe the Lord. Lord, I've been having these conversations with him the last couple of weeks. And what keeps coming back to my mind is a statement that was made by a, a Japanese... General, right after Pearl Harbor, and I, I can't remember what his name was, Yamamoto, maybe I was thinking Hirohito, but I don't know, whoever it was, he said, and I'm not quoting, but he said that he is afraid that maybe they have woken awoken a sleeping giant. And I declare that is what's happening now. And it's not a sleeping giant in the sense of our own organization, our own plans. But the sleeping giant that is being awakened is those who love the Lord, who love what is right, who love Him controlling their lives. They are the sleeping giant. They have been there in portion for decades with no voice. They have been there in portion with no power. But that is all about to change. For the sleeping giant of the remnant, those in relationship with Jesus Christ, is about to be awakened and when it is, that light will shine brightly. It will draw people to Christ. Do you see in the, in the difficulty of what's coming, that literally perpetuates that revival that we've been waiting for. And through this whole thing, God's justice is pure. But His justice is needed. He doesn't want anybody to not know Him. It's His desire that everybody come to know Him. But in our failure as a bride, and in His readying, of that bride he will make the circumstances to where the choice is obvious and that's what he's doing alex yeah come on come on up and you could close us in prayer or whatever the lord gives you
1: i am going to close us in prayer um please just remember that it's possible to be both excited about the power of God coming and the blessings and what he's going to do, but then also be in a place of readiness and awareness of the trial and the difficulty. Um, They are not mutually exclusive. And we've spoken a lot about that recently in different groups and different times, but it's so important to remember that. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this word. Thank you for what you have given us in the truth of Ephesians about our identity in Christ. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for communion today and the remembrance of what was paid for us on the cross. And that now you see us through the filter of Jesus' blood, allowing us to access you in fellowship in prayer in communion God Oh God I thank you for I thank you for what you that all that you do you share first with your prophets And as Isaiah has given a warning of what is to come God we have hope in the great great things you're going to do But the difficulty of your hand of justice and judgment is coming because of those who have not sought your faith. Father, I pray that not be said of us. God, that we would wake up every day with a yes in our spirits to give to you, a yes in our will, and that we would take the measure of faith that each one of us have been given and step by faith in the partnership with you to... Walk in this journey of becoming the full product of the workmanship that we are in you, God. Lord, you said in Jeremiah 29, 11, that you have plans not to harm us, but to prosper us, to give us a hope and a future. And that comes even in perilous times. God, keep us fixed on you. It is sad that it often takes perilous times to fix our eyes in the right place because of the entanglements of this life. So God, I thank you. I thank you for the shaking that is shaking us loose of all the frivolous, superficial things of this life that we've clung to. From our carnal nature that you don't want us to have any part of. God, refine us. Make us holy and pure before you, God. So that we can be the brightest light to this dark and desperate world. That needs to know there's a hope in a beautiful, beautiful Savior. God, I just pray that we would ponder these things. As we go from this place today. And that you would just speak to us. Let us know that you speak. It isn't just us speaking to you God. But open our ears. Open our eyes. To who you are. And what you're saying. He that hath an ear. Let him hear what the spirit is saying to the churches. God we desire to hear this. That we might be overcomers. In Christ Jesus. Thank you God. Bless everyone. And bless all the ears that will hear this message today. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. I'm going to give a couple of um, announcements.